<laughs> Holy smokes. Then your preacher wouldn't be in the pulpit. And uh, all right, if you would, please, children, you are dismissed to head down to Children's Chapel and everyone grab your Bibles and say our Bible decree. Goes like this, if you'll follow with me up on the prompter, it says, this is my Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. If you would, please take that Bible and turn with me to Psalms chapter 46. That's Psalms chapter 46. Today I'm going to be talking about something that we all deal with, and that's fear and anxiety. But the title of my message is Be Still and Know. Fear can destroy us. It makes us weak and undermines our faith. One of the most repeated commands in Scripture says, do not fear. But how do I do that? Man, exactly. Years ago, a mother of eight children from Darlington, Maryland, came home from shopping to find that the house was quieter than usual. As we all know, when children are quiet, that can be a bad sign. Well, she looked into the middle of the living room and saw five of her children sitting around in a circle. Very, very quiet. And doing something with something. It seemed innocent enough, so she put down the sack of groceries and walked over to the kids and looked and saw that they were playing with the five of the cutest skunks that you've ever seen. Terrified, she began to scream, Run, children, run! So each child grabbed a skunk and ran in five different directions. Now mom's panicked. And she screamed even louder. This is my turn. Scared the children. And as a result, each one of them squeezed their skunk. I've been told that skunks don't like to be squeezed. What a thought, right? And what a visual. And these skunks were no exception to the rule. But before their mother came home, the children were playing quietly. They were still. There had been no danger because they hadn't frightened the skunks. But once the mom came home and panicked, that's when the mother lost her temper. In our text today, the psalmist is explaining a similar thing. Israel is surrounded by danger. The nation is right in between some of the most powerful nations of the day, and they have enemies on every side. They gave way to fear now. Life could be unpleasant very, very quickly. You see, if they ever gave way to fear, they'd begin to despair, and that would make weak and easy prey for their enemies. And so the focus of the Psalm 46 is don't do that. You'll notice here it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. We will not fear, though the earth gives way. I want to turn in my Bible as well to Psalms chapter 46. And I want to read the whole text for you before we dive into God's word. In verse 3, it says, Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, 
There's a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God and the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. The heathen raged and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob, he is our refuge. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he has made in the earth. He makes wars to cease into the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariots in the fire. And in verse 10, as, as the choir starts to sing and the volume is turned up, he says, be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. And the God of Jacob is our refuge. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that today, Lord, we can open up your holy word, Lord, and learn from it. Help us to understand what fear and anxiety is like and and what it's like to have to experience that in our own walk and in our own life. And so, Father, I pray that you'll give us courage and strength to know that we can change because, Lord, you are with us. You're for us. And, Father, we thank you so much for your word today. Oh, God, help us to learn from it. Hide me behind the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You heard my sister say, we're scared up here. And the word said we're terrified. We're petrified. Petrified, terrified. Isn't it amazing the expectations we put on ourselves? You know why there was fear? Because we were afraid that we would mess up. The fear and anxiety came over us because we were afraid of disappointing ourselves, one another, the music, whatever was going on. We're afraid of the outcome of something, right? And that's fear. And Satan loves to make sure that we are fearful of anything that we do for Almighty God. So we have to stand in strength and in power because God is for us and He's fighting for us. And yet sometimes we forget that He is doing just that. That He's on our side. He already won. The battle's been won. And yet we still bask in the fear of, oh no, what's going to happen? Is my voice going to crack? I'll never forget the one time we were, we were teenagers and we were singing and um, something, I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever started to laugh and then you try to gain your composure and you, you just lose it all together? You will never come back from that. And when Tracy and I were singing and we're up in front of the church and well, I'll back up just a little bit. The problem why we have sometimes staying focused is because my sister's out of control when we practice. She makes me laugh all the time. Okay, I, I let me back that up. I'm the one that's out of control. And then I started doing all kinds of crazy antics. And then we lose our focus. And then I'll start making up words to songs. And, you know, you all remember the Jim Cramer when that happens. But anyhow, um, you know, you just because you practice it so many times, but yet... You know, I always say, like I said today, to calm my nerves, here we are in the living room. We all want to be ministered to, right? We come to church because we want to be ministered to, but we've allowed Satan to come in and creep in and, and mess all that up. And so we're, we're up there singing, and 
we had these mics, and you know, even when we started New Hope, we were all special, and everybody had their own colored mics, and when you came up to the praise team, that day you were purple, red, green, whatever Luke decided to assign us, or whatever we had, you know, and everybody, I didn't like them because people were spitting on it, it really kind of creeped me out, and uh, and so I'm like, after that, I'm like, nobody touches my mic, and nobody touches my cordless, this is mine, and this is mine, and every once in a while when I see people up here, I'm like, they're spitting on it, so um, anybody want a ministry? that have alcohol swabs, you just wipe them off after service. We'll let you do that. Anyhow, um, so, you know, as we're singing, we got up, and as we're, we're, we're singing, she's got the mic right here. And, and remember, we all have these multicolored foam things. Well, I, for whatever reason, I looked to the right, and it, it wasn't good. We started laughing. Well, we're teenagers. So now in the church of legalism, <coughs> we were in big, big trouble after that. We gained our composure, and we're singing, pass it on. It only takes a spark to get the fire going. And on Tracy's part where she's not singing, she brings the mic down, and when she brings it back up to sing her part, that foam thing came off of and shot directly right into the middle of the congregation. That was it. There was no regaining composure. It was all over from that point on. We lost it. We put our mics down and walked off the platform. We were like, well, that's what happened. And so, you know, there's those fears that always come back like, is that going to happen today when we're singing? Is all of a sudden something going to happen? So you have all these expectations, and fear starts to really, you know, rise up within you. And then you're afraid. You're always afraid of confrontation. How many of you hate confrontation? I hate confrontation. I loathe confrontation. And I love my congregation. I'm, I'm out of control here. And, uh, but reality is this. Anxiety and fear will always overcome us. But how is it we're going to get over that? Well, having faith and trust in who? And so we go into situations, man, going into an interview is terrible. You know, realizing that, you know, you're going to face somebody that's going to look at you and go, no, you don't get the job. I'm like, what in the world? And so I started telling myself years ago when I was the guy who was interviewing, I would always make people feel somewhat comfortable because they were fearful and anxiety started to take place. And I thought, well, this is going to be kind of a good, neat little thing that I'm going to do. So I'd have... You know, on the table, I would put uh, a bunch of food like Doritos and cookies and chips and all kinds of stuff. So when they would come in, I'd say, I'll be right back. If you'd like to have a drink, you can have, you know, some soda and, and you know, some chips and so on and so forth. And then I would purposely walk into my office. You'll like this. Purposely walk into my office, give them a few minutes to open up the bags because I wanted to see how they would interact with me with anxiety and fear. Because being interviewed, do you guys get nervous when you get interviewed by somebody? Yeah, it's, 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 I know there's a lot of anxiety that comes in that. But, but anyhow, um, it's like going to the principal's office or the pastor's office, right? <laughs> and uh, so I walk back out, and I'm sitting, and I'll never forget this one guy. He pops it open and starts drinking and then belches really loud in the interview. I thought, well, this guy, he's not having much anxiety and fear today. I'm like, what's going on here? And, uh, and then in the next interview, 
I had a woman who she was out there putting on her lipstick, her bright red lipstick. Now, my step, I got to tell you who it was later. I know I need to tell you for sure. And uh, it wasn't my stepmom. I'm just telling I just have to tell her who it was because you'll get a kick out of this. So anyhow, she's putting on her bright lipstick. And as she's eating those Doritos, I'm asking her questions, and she's spitting them at me. And I'm dodging them. It was one of those things where I decided right then, I know people get afraid, and they're fearful, and there's a lot of anxiety. But this will be the last time this man ever provides food for anybody. He belched on me, and she's spitting all over me. I can't do this now. I'm afraid of them. So anyhow, here, here's, here's the line in, in Psalms 46. Things were going on. It was troublesome times. And yet in the midst of all of the trial, all of the tribulation, everything that's going on, our God shows up and he says, be still and know that I'm God. But what I love in, in verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and he's our strength. start knocking our heart that belongs right here in the center of our chest ends up right here in our throat everything closes up the room starts spinning and bam down you go and when i look at the children of israel i often think you know had they forgot who they were which we realize that they did all through scripture wandered for 40 years fear anxiety the lack of faith came into their life And so the psalmist is saying here, I want you to notice something very, very important. That before I move forward, that you can rest assured that you have a refuge. You have a shelter. You have a safe place in the land of the living. And and church, when anxiety starts to overcome, he says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about what? Itself. We can't worry about things that God is in control of. Back in those days, they had a lot to fear. There was war and famine and and there was desolation and there was a lot to be afraid of. And we know the history. We know what went on. I mean, wars and rumors of wars. And I mean, it was just killings and slaughters and things. It was just a bad, bad time always fighting for territory. I'm up. Hello? But that's something that many of us have never experienced in our lives. Drought, famine, earthquakes, storms, disease in our land. Could you imagine if our country was like that this time of year? We would run People even made the comment to me. They said, Pastor, are you sure you want to get on a cruise ship with the way jitters are? And, uh, and I said, well, you know, if I live my life in fear, I'll never do anything. There's germs in this room. Last night I had throat cancer. I don't know what's going on with sinuses. Everything else, I'm like, I can't breathe. I'm scared to death. You know, I mean, awful. But here's what I realized, that in America, we have health care. We have doctors and nurses, insurance companies, Medicare, Medicaid, retirement benefits, 
We have food carts, housing for the poor, policemen, firemen, and strong military. And I could go on about the advantages that we have that they didn't enjoy. And yet fear is still a powerful thing even for us. There are studies that point out that even today Americans are amongst the most stressed and fearless people in the world. Isn't that amazing? But why? Because fear is a natural response to the unknown. There are things we can't control and it makes us afraid. And when life gets hard, when there's danger and when there's threat to our livelihood, or we face disease or injury or even death, even the most spiritual among us can be afraid. Fear is a reality of life. And each and every one of us can say we've experienced it, right? And when fear grabs a hold of us, we can become anxious and desperate and we feel a sense of When fear controls us, our lives can get really miserable, but God tells us, don't let that happen. He says, do not be anxious. God says that over and over and over in the Bible. It's one of the most repeated commands in the scriptures. It says, do not be afraid. And for whatever reason, I uh, forgot all my scripture verses sitting in my office on my printer. And uh, I had 32 of them. But do you know in the Bible it says, do not be afraid, 330 times? How many? 365. Do not be afraid. What a reminder to each and every one of us. So how do we do that? How do we not be afraid? How do we deal with the fear when it comes knocking on our door? So as I looked at this text, the first thing occurred to me was, one, we need to recognize that what we fear may be very real. We need to realize that what we fear may be very real. There's times when what we fear is not imaginary. God knows that. God is not indifferent to what we struggle with. God tells us we will face real troubles in our lives. Jesus said, in this world, in John 16, 33, you will have trouble. But he says, but be an overcomer, right? overcome those troubles. An old gospel song that says, This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You see, this world is not our home. If we were home with God, we'd be in heaven and there wouldn't be any more trouble in our life. I like what it says in Revelation 21, 4, it tells us in heaven, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, crying, neither shall there be any, any more pain for the former things are passed away. That's what heaven will be like. Isn't that a great thought? Isn't that comforting? No trouble, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. But in this world, it says we will face trouble. Just like everybody else. We're not exempt from it. But though we may experience troubles like everyone else does, the difference for us is that we won't face those troubles alone. One man told of a time he was trying to witness to a woman about Christ. He said that she told him that nothing was working in her life. She said her daughter had been killed. Her husband was unfaithful. Now she thought she was about to lose her job. And so he asked her, when the world crashes in on you, to whom do you go? After a long pause, she said, I guess I just go to myself. Later, she said the one word that most describes her. I go to God. 
God says he's not with us. He'll never allow us to be alone. Psalms 46.1, and we see it here. God is our refuge and strength, a very present, circle that, present help in trouble. He will be there in the midst of our trials. He'll be there in the midst of our trouble. Or as God said in Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. Let's say, Caitlin, nice and loud. For the Lord your God is with you always, and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Have you heard of that promise before? We've heard it in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But why would Hebrew quote Deuteronomy's promise? Because you see, the same God made the same promise to us that he made to Israel. God will never leave his people. He's always with us. He will never forsake us. And just to drive that idea home, God repeats a phrase twice in Psalms 46 where he said, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God will never leave us. God will never forsake us. And when you have that kind of attitude, fear can no longer control you. I love this story. A man told about his fiercely independent 84-year-old grandmother who lived alone in the old family house. Her four children lived in the same town, but she rarely called except for emergencies. So when one of her sons got a call from her one morning, he quickly drove to her home. When he got there, she explained that she heard noises in the night and she suspected that there was a burglar in her bedroom closet. He said, but why didn't you call me last night, he explained. Well, it was late and I hated to bother you, so I just nailed the closet shut and went to bed. Now that is faith, knowing you're protected. That's the kind of confidence we can have when we realize God is with us. We just need to nail the door shut and let him take care of all the stuff in our life. God is with us and he'll never leave us. But wait, there's more. really cool set of verses that says though the rivers and streams verses 4 and 5 and then 6 says make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the most high God is in the midst of her she shall not be moved God will help her when morning dawns and in the midst of troubles and difficulties God not only tells you he'll be with you but that he will give us joy and gladness and he will refresh us it says there that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God what is this river Well, the river is God. That's him. Back in the days of ancient Israel, when armies tried to capture a city, they surrounded it and tried to starve out the inhabitants. But if a city could hold off their enemies as long as they had a source of water, oftentimes that water would come from wells, but the water in those wells would grow stale, and eventually the well would run dry. When that happened, when the water ran out, the city was in trouble. But if the city had a source of running water like a river, they could last a long time. And the water source was pure and sparkling water. It not only satisfied their thirst, but it was a joy to drink from. When I was a little boy, right next to us on State Route 14, used to be called in the 70s and 60s, Road 6. How many of you knew that? Going through Springsboro and then all those areas. Okay. There's two of us in the whole room to know that. 
great. Do you know you guys are all from City of Ashes? And um, I remember as a little boy right next to us, my grandfather, they took the business that used to sit there and he moved it behind our house and there was a, uh, they turned it, he rented it to him for a dollar and then they closed it down years later to go back to the family, whoever owns it, and that's how they did it. So right next to us, we had a roadside park is what they called it. Anyway, now they call them parking lots. But what was so so neat about it, as a kid, you're out playing and you're riding your bike and you're getting all wore out and exhausted and tired and you used to go to this place right in the middle. It was green, had this little pump on it, and you would walk over to it and as unsanitary as it is to the obsessive compulsive guy here, I would drink out of it. Mm. But what was so cool about this well is that you would prime it. We had more fun doing that. Actually, as a boy, you'd get it to the right point and you just hit it real hard just to shoot it clear across the, the parking lot. And so, you know, the, the, the water would come out and you would take a drink of that nice, cool, refreshing water. But I noticed something as I got older. That nice, cool, refreshing water became stale and gross and gross. I think we got to the bottom. And they closed down the park. And then out on industry, then there was another um, Rock Spring Road. They had this, this spring. How many have ever gone to a spring and got water out of it in this room? And then everybody went there. Because if you grew up in the country, we had rusty water. We didn't have city water. So you'd always go and get yourself some crystal cool, clean, refreshing water from the side of that mountain. And now everybody's afraid to drink anything. Don't drink out of the plastic jug. Don't drink this. Don't drink that. Well, Jerry, I guess we'll just go ahead and put Neos in something and drink it like that, right? I don't know. But one thing I learned from that, that every time I got water out of that spring, it was cold. Isn't that amazing? I mean, refreshingly cold. And you used to, I used to think as a kid, why don't we have this on our property? I mean, it's only two miles up the road. Why don't we have it here? My parents... Down on Industry Road, there was another one right there by the house. People would pull over and get, and they would grab water from there as well. And, I mean, it was refreshing. So what's the correlation? The correlation is right here is Jesus becomes refreshing, the spring of living water. He becomes the source to our stale, bitter lives. And so he was telling the psalmist here, and he was telling that the children of Israel, here's what you've got to do. You have to understand that. There is a core refreshing drink of joy, even through our suffering, even through our fear. You need to come to me. It also says right here in the middle of the psalm, it's an interesting command. Be still and know that I am God, Psalms 46.10. And there's two parts to that command. The first part says, be still, be quiet, don't move, don't fuss, don't fidget, because it's hard for God to fix things in our lives if we're forever moving about. He says to be still, listen. Remember when you're, you're just a little, little tot? I'm Pastor Tom. This is a message today. No, we don't even know where you're at. Remember when you were a little tot? Tot means child. Okay, group participation. And you would get a splinter. Did we turn the heat up in this room? I was noticing there's about 12 people that are... 
<laughs> it's so weak. And my daughter's over here covered up like, what's that? I know. And my wife says my ADD is out of control today. Good. And uh, that's every week. Okay, welcome to New Hope. And uh, so you get a splinter in your finger. And when you have a splinter in your finger, you say, come here, honey. I used to tell my girls, come here, daddy. We'll fix it. And they come over and we sit down. And I just love them. You start digging. And they're fidgeting because they think we're, and they're doing the jig all over. I'm like, hold on a minute. I can't get the splinter out of your finger if you're doing all that nonsense. Right? Just like our Christian life. Sometimes things become unpredictable. Sometimes in our walk, it's not always that feeling like, yes, I'm sitting on a piece of ground. But I want you to know, it says right there, be still. And we would tell them, be still, hold on just a minute. Let me get that splinter out of your finger or out of your foot or whatever. And I mean, we didn't dig any. I just wanted to do that for fun. But, you know, you take, you got ice on it and you take it. But even though you're taking it real soft, it still was a source of irritation. And, and so if you'll notice right there, it says, be still and what? Know that I am God. They knew that their daddy would fix it. The girls knew that I was focused and that I would get it out. And if I couldn't, mom could. But most of the time it was fun for me because I was like, I will purpose in my heart to desire God. You've all been there, right? Kind of a cool thing, <coughs> especially if you can pull it all out in one piece. <coughs> then it was victory in the camp. Where here he says no. Where it says, know that I am God, he made it present, he made it personal, and he said, I want you to have a personal relationship with me. And so, we lack in having that relationship because we're moving all over the place. We're not staying put, we're not being still, because we have matters in our own hands. And I'm going to share a story as I close. About three boys, they were Hebrew boys, and I'll tell you, those boys, they knew what it was like to be still and know that he is God. They knew that he, that they could take refuge in God. They knew that he was their help and that he was present in the midst of their trials and their tribulations. And those three Hebrew boys were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. And this morning as I got up, I started feeling my whole, the Holy Spirit stir within me. And I started thinking, like, wow, where have I been still, God? Where have I just stopped all the noise, all the chaos in my life because I'm so distracted by what he said, she said, what's going on down here, what's going on in my kid's life, what's going on in the business world, what's going on in the church, what's going on in the political world. We have all this noise. And yet King Nebuchadnezzar said, I want everybody to bow to the golden idol. And when you hear the instruments, I want you to bow. And I love this picture. I found it once on when I taught a message on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love where it, it just showed thousands of people. 
And in the midst of those thousands, in the center of it, there was three young men that were standing there. And I didn't get it till today. And I'm not going to read the text because of, of time. But I will say to you that it must have been something that in that time of hard times, of trials and of tribulations, fear and anxiety could have come over those men knowing that King Nebuchadnezzar said, here's what's going to happen. If you do not bow your knee, I will throw you into a fiery furnace. Now let me see what your devotion is. Let me see what your commitment is. And the music started, they bowed, and three young boys stood still. Didn't move. So I went back and I started looking in the text from the King James Version to the New American Standard Bible and from all over NIV, and I wanted to see the correlation between all of them. And I couldn't. God See, there were three boys standing there. But in that text in Psalm 46, it says they stood in there. They knew who God was, so they stood still. They didn't waver because of political opinion. They didn't waver because there was the rich and the famous over here. They didn't waver because mom and dad were behind them telling them, get your butt down there right now, son. No, they knew because I'll bet you we don't even see it in the word, but I do know what it says, that he was with them. Because where did we see evidence? King Nebuchadnezzar said, get him up. Put him in the furnace. And we know the story, one of the greatest stories of all times for children. He threw them in there. And the guards, as they were putting in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were burnt up. It was that hot. But could you imagine the courage and the strength that they had knowing, I know who I am and it doesn't matter because I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm a winner, not a whiner. I'm a victor, I'm a victor not a victim. I know who I am. Because he is the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. He's light in that dark furnace. I know who my God is. And King Nebuchadnezzar walked in and he said, what's going on? They said, I don't know, but there's another guy inside that furnace. God shows up in our difficult moments. God shows up in our trials and our tribulations. God will show up through your sickness and he wants you to be still. He wants you to be quiet. He wants you to hear his voice. I told you back in December that I would start a message series on to be still. I want a church to know and to hear the voice of God and not to compromise and reckon with that spirit, but to say, here I am, God, use me. But we can't be used if we're fidgeting because we feel like we've got a splinter or an ache or pain. Don't move. He says, listen, children of Israel, be still, take refuge in me, take strength in me. And I understand that there's going to be a lot of hardship. But he said, guess what? I'm the God of Jacob. I'm a fortress to be reckoned with. And so King Nebuchadnezzar said, 
I don't know who that God is, but guess what? I'm coming on over here because I want to know who that God is, and everybody in the world is going to know. People can't experience the power of Almighty God if we do not let people see God in our life. Listen, you can't be jumping around like a jack-in-the-box. I ain't going to join Karen's because, you know, they didn't do it this way. And even they didn't do it. Guess what? They're not going to do it over there either. I ran into somebody this past week. And they said to me, they said, you know, I've been here. I'm not growing. But I know for certain that I need to be here. And I said, thank good for you. Stay. Be still. We know in our spirit when God moves us. I love that you're here. I love that you're a part of this community. I am blessed that you're a part of this congregation. I need you here because we need one another for accountability and for encouragement and for edification. But even though financial things may be hard right now, maybe you didn't get all your bills this week, maybe some things happened where you just feel like, what in the world is going on here? He said, don't you worry about it. I got your back. I'm God. I know what's happening. So bring your petition to him. Bring your request to him. And when hard times come, like I said in the beginning, let's get the devil right where it hurts. Square between the eyes. Well, guess what, devil? I got some things to tell you. I had cancer and God healed me. Guess what, devil? I was broke, but he gave me an amazing job. Guess what, devil? I was depressed, but today... I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And every time you try to get me down, I'm going to rise up again because I have the power of Almighty God in me, within me, and resigning and living and breathing inside my heart and in my life. Rejoice in your sufferings. In Philippians 4, 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, we need to rejoice through our suffering. I want to close with the story of a woman named Gladys Alloway. Gladys was a missionary to China who oversaw an orphanage for Chinese children. But during the early days of World War II, the Japanese army began to invade the area in which she was forced to flee for her life. So with only one assistant to help her, Gladys led more than 100 orphaned children over the mountains to freedom. Have you ever noticed how much food a child could really eat? Hey, I'm experiencing son-in-laws now, and I'm like, wow, these dudes can put away food. I mean, with my girls, they're like, Dad, what's for dinner? We tell them, and Megan's like, can I just have macaroni and cheese? Can we just have macaroni and cheese? Can we just, oh, well, that's simple. Oh, not with guys. Oh, they want everything plus what's in the refrigerator and the cabinet. I'm like, where did you just put all that food? But I was there one time, you know. Well, Gladys had 100 children to care for, and they didn't have many supplies when they fled. The enormity of her responsibility was hard on Gladys, and she began to struggle with despair, with fear, and with anxiety. And at one point after passing a sleepless night, she faced the morning with the belief that they had no hope for ever reaching safety. Just then, one of the 14-year-old girls in the group reminded her of their much-loved story of Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. So sadly, Gladys said, but I'm not Moses. The girl said, of course you aren't. 
But Jehovah is still God. And our God is still God. Here's the deal. You and I aren't Moses either. And you're not Esther or Daniel. And you're not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or any other great heroes of the Old Testament. But church, I'm here to tell you that we serve the same God. They weren't any different than you are. Their only advantage was that when life got hard and became overwhelming, they looked to God. Because God is God. And He promised never to leave them, never to forsake them, to walk through the fiery furnace with them. And that's the promise you have as well. What have you been suffering through this week? What have you been going through? Every week we close our service with an invitation. And if you've been going through some hard times, and as the praise team comes and we all rise to our feet, as you've been going through a difficult time, maybe in your own life and in your own walk, just know this, He looked beyond your fault and He saw your need. You don't have to fear, because God is with you. The Bible says that He is the Father to the fatherless. Then when you feel alone, God is right there with you. And if you're not a Christian and you do not know Him as Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to come forward, invite Jesus Christ into your heart and life, and know the same God that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, Esther, Job, all experienced throughout the Word of God. Things are not always easy. Living the Christian life is not always easy. Oh, church, but victory awaits. And God is with us. So you can see it on the screen. I'm going to ask you a question. Where are you right now? Where are you in your mind and in your heart? And today during this invitation, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. I'm going to have the music play in just a moment. But in this room, with nobody singing, we're just going to let the prompter sing and the praise team can sing. But... It says to be still for a moment. We need to be still, and I want you to listen. I desire more than anything to have a church that is not just a religious experience, that is a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that we experience His fullness every time we come into His house and into His sanctuary. And then if you feel like you want to come forward, And if you feel like you want to come and pray, then you quietly move outside of your seat and you come forward and you let the Holy Spirit work on you. Now, here's what I'm going to have you do, where it says to be still and know that I'm God. Know that you could take refuge. You come in in prayer. Let those that come to the altar pray by themselves and let them listen to God. And when you're ready, you'll stand up from this altar of significance and walk away in victory knowing that you laid it before God and He spoke to you. And if you don't feel that today, that's okay as well. Stay where you are. If you feel that you need to sit where you're at, let's just listen to the song and know that He's with us and He's for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. No, God, we come before you just thankful for this text that says that we can take 
refuge, your shelter, your safety in your life. God, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself because anxiety and, and fears will overcome me and I get nervous flying and traveling. But God, I know that you're not a God of, of humiliating me or embarrassing me. God, I'm sorry that I haven't leaned on you and trusted you in ways that I should have. So God, today, increase my faith. Let the world know that, that you're number one in my life and, and those that are in this room, God. May people look back over their life saying, wow, here's evidence that they knew who God was. He wasn't just a Sunday morning picture silhouette in a church, but that your presence is here and with us. So God, speak to us today. And in the stillness of this room, God, we ask that you will just move in your way, in your power, and in your name. God, I surrender my life to